0: with a focus on physical mental and social health the UCS wellness podcast is dedicated to sharing informative conversations with the UCS community and beyond
1: Hello everyone, my name is Kim Taworski. I am a counselor at Shelby Junior High in the Utica Community Schools District. And as part of the Utica Community Schools wellness team, I'd like to welcome you to our wellness podcast. Today's topic is nutrition, and I have my good friend Ruth with me. Ruth, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
0: Hi,
2: I'm Ruth Mack. I'm a registered dietitian. I just completed my graduate degree back in 2021 in nutrition and dietetics, specifically nutrition education. And now I'm practicing in the Detroit metropolitan area, as well as working with some nonprofit working on global food and poverty crisis.
1: So nutrition. I um, am a mom. I have passed the child stage. Mine is 23 and, and making her own choices. But I remember that growing up, it was so hard knowing, like, what do I make her eat? What do I say? So um, we would like to get some tips. How do we help our kids eat healthy without being over the top?
2: That's such a great question, especially because as parents, it can be really easy just to be super stressed out. I mean, kids are eating four to six times a day and you all are balancing work, balancing life. And so really the top priority for feeding our kids needs to be how do I make this day less stressful for myself? Because I've talked to so many parents before and so many clients who have said, I am just so stressed out about this. So what does it look like to make this whole process of feeding our kid. We want them to grow up. We want to raise intuitive eaters where they can learn how to listen to our body. But what does that look like for us? Is this adding stress or is this how can we make it less stressful? So one of the biggest things that I recommend is really allowing kids to have choice at meals. I know that can often be really hard and can sometimes come off as controversial of, oh my goodness, what if the kid has too many choices? But really allowing kids that to let them know that they don't have to eat something and be firm that you're not going to make them something else, make another snack or something. But really, we want to develop a culture around the table that gives children the ability to choose their foods, because at the end of the day, it's not the parent's job to be involved in the kids eating it. The parent doesn't put the food in their mouth. The parent doesn't swallow it. That's up to the kid. That's the kid's job. The job as a parent is to make the balanced meals and include foods that they are familiar with. Give them the opportunity, present the food to them, and let the child choose what they're going to have. And again, we don't want to give them too many choices where they're overwhelmed, but maybe giving them two choices of, would you like broccoli or would you like carrots? Or giving them two options of foods to eat and presenting both of, here's your choice. It allows the child to feel more empowered to listen to their body.
1: I like that. It's like, do you want to wear the red shirt or the blue shirt today? When as a parent, you're wearing a shirt. Exactly. I know that I want you to wear a shirt. So you mentioned broccoli and carrots, which can be very controversial topics. And I know that as parents, we're all like veggies, veggies, veggies. We know veggies are good. And sometimes as parents, we don't like them. So how do we work vegetables into a child's diet when they might not want to eat them?
2: Yeah, So we see that a lot, right? Parents are trying to figure out, I get that question probably more than any other question of how do I get my child to eat vegetables? And the, there's a lot of different strategies, but the biggest thing is that we want to serve veggies a lot. We want to serve them with every meal and every snack, giving them the opportunity to be exposed to the vegetables. Because the more kids see the veggies, the more they expect them to be there and the more comfortable they are to taste them. And then the more likely they are to actually like them and enjoy them. And if a child never sees a vegetable or never sees a parent eat a vegetable, they're less likely to try them because why would I try a vegetable that you're not eating? And so really just having that available, sometimes even as parents, maybe instead of having veggies, like maybe just trying a few bites or um, really bringing in vegetables that we like and talking about them. Uh, again, Picky eaters. I know that I see that a lot, too. Well, my child's a picky eater. They just don't want that. Um, and really, like, just know if your child's a picky eater, 25% of kids are picky eaters. So you're not alone. And that's going to sometimes need more advanced um, techniques like food play. But really, it's going to be exposure and really giving the child more exposure to these veggies so that they can see them and then they can learn to like them over time.
1: Yeah, I think I remember when my daughter was a baby, it was don't start with the sweet potatoes because then that's all they're going to want. Start with the things like the peas and the green beans, all of that, so that you do develop a taste to it. Um, You mentioned food play. So I see that as a bad thing in a cafeteria, but I'm thinking that it's not a bad thing for you. Yes. So there's different techniques with food play that we often
2: recommend where it could be something like if it's vegetables, allowing the child to say it's broccoli, allowing the child to play with that sometimes actually gives them more interest in it and more likely to try it so maybe it could be a child that is wanting to try broccoli and so we give them we cut up broccoli and put it on their plate and give them like a toy construction toy to like carry the broccoli and like getting used to what broccoli looks like getting used to what it feels like and of course sometimes it can be messy like But at the same time, the child is able to see it more. And even this doesn't have to be messy. Maybe it's simply just talking to the child about what the food does in our bodies. Okay, so and I'll talk about this in a little bit, but they don't know what's healthy and not healthy. They just know that, okay, if I see a carrot, what does that mean for me? Why do I need to eat this? So educating the child about, oh, a carrot is an orange vegetable. It's going to help me see in the dark. And so then they're more inclined to say, oh, I can see in the dark. Let me eat a carrot. Whereas we just say, oh, a carrot is good for you or a carrot is
1: healthy. The child doesn't know what that means. That makes sense. And it's not that they're going to become a bunny if they eat more carrots. I may have used that one. Yep. Once or twice. (laughs) So one of the things that I always did was you have to try at least two bites. Two bites of anything, not going to force you, but is there a benefit to that? Like at least trying something, even if you don't think you like it? There can be. The hardest thing
2: with that is, especially I see a lot, parents will say, you need to have two bites before you get dessert. And they make that a incentive. And of course, when a child hears, I have to do this, what are they going to want to do? Not do it. So it's going to be hard where we're saying, OK, this is good for you. Take two more bites or you'll like this. They're more inclined to not want to try because you said, let's try this. So trying to remove some of those food labels, too, and trying to remove of, well, this is good for you. This is what is going to benefit you um, and really making it so that the child can try it, but without the strings attached. And that's going to come to with the exposure and giving ch- the children more opportunities to see whatever the food is, whether it's a vegetable, whether it's a fruit, letting them see that is going to help them want to try it more. Um, And oftentimes we see parents too where they're talking and it can be easy, right? Like we live in diet culture, but we'll see parents talking about these diet foods and they're quote unquote eating a salad because a salad is going to help them lose the baby weight or whatever X, Y, or Z. But the thing is that the kids, our kids hear those comments, right? And so we could have a three year old who hears that her mom is eating a salad because she wants to lose weight. And that three year old's going to pick that up and say, Oh, I need to eat a salad. I need to lose weight. So really, trying to take away some of those labels with the food and allowing the child the opportunity to choose it and just having it exposed. They're not gonna, even if it's just a few pieces of a vegetable or a few bites of something on their plate, they might
1: not eat it at first, but the more they see it over time, the more likely they are to try it. It's not necessarily something you wanna push. Like you have to finish your, not necessarily, like the dessert's a reward for finishing your broccoli. It's just broccoli's part of our meal. That's what we're going to eat because it's good for you. And then talking about why. Exactly. Why is it good for you?
2: Yeah, exactly. And that kind of goes along with um, dessert. That's another thing where we always are talking about. OK, but I know that added sugars are bad for a child or whatever you hear in social media. Even some of the health organizations will talk about that, that. At the same time, like if we hear these things are good versus bad, the child's going to want to go for more of the things. And the more that they are like, oh, I want dessert, the more they restrict, the more they'll obsess over it. So even trying to add, I would say having when you have a meal, have your veggies, have your meal. Also add your dessert to the meal. Have that as an option, an exposure option where, OK, say that the child has been wanting an Oreo. And of course, we want to stick with the minimum recommendations for the added sugar. But if a two-year-old is saying, hey, I really want some M&Ms. Okay, maybe you give the two-year-old two M&Ms at lunch. Or maybe a child is really wanting Oreos. We don't want to restrict that because that can develop some really negative behaviors. But saying, okay, well, we'll give you an Oreo with lunch and an Oreo with dinner. And then in a week or two, that child's no longer going to be on Oreos and they're going to be it's just going to be a part of their meal. It's just going to be something they eat and really focusing on the fact that not demonizing any sort of aspect of food, not demonizing the sugar, but allowing it to be there for the child to experience. too. So
1: in moderation, exactly in moderation and paying attention to that. So what age do you start talking about these things, how, how food is good and healthy and what it does for your body?
2: As soon as a child's verbal, I, there's really not an age that is too young for a child to start hearing about the different aspects of food. Um, start simple. One of my favorite fellow dietitians and founder of Kids Eating Color is Jennifer Anderson. And she makes these beautiful diagrams talking about how what color food affect what part of the body. So red foods like apples, they help the heart. Blue and purple foods help the brain and white foods give us energy. So instead of saying, for example, when you think of a white food, it might be rice or a lot of times those carbohydrates and a child doesn't understand what a carbohydrate is. They don't need to understand that right away. But saying instead of white food isn't good for you, explain that white food gives you energy So when you eat rice or a piece of bread at lunch, you'll have more energy to go play in the afternoon. You'll have energy to learn in school. Or carrots will turn you into a bunny, like Uh you said, right? Carrots, we could say, are orange foods, which help us see in the dark. Or even looking at apples, they're red. Apples are good for you. Kids don't know what good for you means. So saying, okay, this red food gives you a strong heart. And helping to navigate that language where once they're verbal, you can say, hey, this food is going to help you have a strong heart. And that's what the kids cling on to. Of, oh, I want to be strong.
1: I want to see in the dark. I love that. I love the connection because you've got the colors right away and then you can talk about what it's doing in their bodies. And I think that's so because kids like that. Yeah. Like, I want to be strong. I want to be able to see in the dark. I want to be able to do these things. And that that makes complete sense. So I can probably list tons of mistakes that I made. What are some common mistakes that you see with parents when they're working with their kids and eating?
2: Some of the biggest mistakes I see, and it's not that the parent is trying to poorly feed a child. The parents are trying their best. They always are looking for their child's best interests, but we can only show our children what we know. And so one just knowing that parents give yourself grace, it is okay, it's a constant learning curve, we're constantly learning. But one of the things I that I see very often is that most of us were raised in a feeding environment that was coming out of the depression years where we we were all in the clean plate club where we all had to eat everything on our plate um, or at least we had to take a bite of everything. And while I know that sometimes it is still very true, we still see food insecurity in so many different areas and aspects, and families um, don't have the privilege to have access to food. Uh, But now the food system has changed a bit since then. And now we have access to low-cost, low-nutrient-dense foods. And so it gives us the opportunity for parents to help their child protect their hunger cues, where a lot of us growing up didn't have that opportunity because we had to eat what we had. Where parents are now able to, um, instead of finding themselves in this clean your plate club, they are able to focus on, okay, eating until you're hungry, listening to your body. Because when we're telling kids, hey, you don't know how hungry you are. I know how hungry you are. And the kids are trained to know, well, this is how much that is on my plate. This is how much I need to eat. What happens when they go into a restaurant and the servings are two or three times the amount that they have at home? So really that then the child will overeat. The child's not going to be able to internalize how they're feeling. And so allowing that opportunity for a child to sit back and listen to their body is something that it takes years to develop, but will overall benefit them as they grow up and as they get to adulthood. And that's something, a skill that is so hard, especially as adults, right? I look back and I think, oh my goodness, I wish I would have done this as a child and had this experience. But now we get to go forth and raise a generation of intuitive
1: eaters. I love that. I know that when I go to a restaurant, I'm in that mentality of I paid for this food, so I'm going to finish it all. And then afterwards, I just feel bad. I feel full. So I've started, you know, taking some home and letting kids see that it's okay to take some home or it's okay to leave food. And that that was a big thing is that like, don't waste food, people starving, but it's not my not wasting that food isn't going to affect the person who's starving. There's other ways to do that. It's not about me finishing what's on my plate. So then what would you recommend? So you've got a child that's like, I am not touching that. How do you handle that gently? How do you help the child to know that, okay, we're, we're going to eat, but without being angry and being forceful?
2: That can be a really hard situation, especially I see it a lot at dinner times when families are coming home, parents are exhausted after a long day, and it's taking everything in them to get this child to eat. And I don't know about you, but I was raised where if you went to bed hungry, that was a punishment. So it was seen as a negative of, oh, you've done something wrong, you're not going to eat dinner. In reality, a child skipping a meal isn't going to be the end of the world. The child is still going to be able to um, get their nutrient nutrition throughout the day. Um, and the biggest thing is dinner. Dinner is a very, very hard meal. I know some of you, probably a lot of you can relate to that. But at the end of the day, the child is very exhausted too. And so sometimes it can be that the child is too exhausted to eat. And so really just saying, being firm again, saying, okay, this is what we're having, um, but also saying, okay, like if you don't want to eat this meal, it's not going to damage the child. And giving them that choice where it's, okay, this is what we're going to have for dinner. If you are not going to eat it, that's okay. But at the same time, you're not going to have another option. And again, like really just focusing on schedule of the day throughout the day. Breakfast is going to be a time where they're awake. They have energy. So bulking them up, getting them fruits and veggies in the morning and in earlier in the day, and then allowing them to listen to their bodies in the afternoon. In some chi- children, this may not be enough where, okay, my child has been skipping dinner a lot or they're not eating a lot at dinner and they're waking up hungry often throughout the night. And it's going to go case by case with children, but maybe a child does need a bedtime snack. And the biggest thing with bedtime snacks is when I know that that probably sounds like, Oh my goodness, Ruth, don't bring snacks into this. But a child, the biggest thing with a bedtime snack is ensuring that it's not going to be like an attractive, snack, not something that they are purposely going to skip dinner to have this snack. It can simply be um, something like some pretzels or what something like that, where it's not going to be exciting, where the child is going to say, if I skip my meal, I'm going to get this. But something that is, okay, you're hungry throughout the night. Let's get you a little snack to get you through the morning because you've been super tired this evening and this afternoon. Um, but really... Having the sensation of hunger after a meal for a child is not a bad thing. It helps them to recognize their hunger cues and fullness cues. And so allowing them that space to honor their body um, and respect that too as parents.
1: So what do you do? I have a lot of the junior high students that I work with who just say, I'm not hungry for breakfast in the morning, which I've always believed breakfast, 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 most important meal of the day. How do you work with that as a parent? We know they should be hungry, but... How do we get them to eat something? I see that a lot,
2: especially when I see middle school and high school students. They, they're they honestly not hungry. And so honoring that, but also saying, okay... I want you especially cuz they start school so early in the day. I want you to be able to focus. Would you do a granola bar? Would you do a banana? Something that will be some quick energy for you or even having them take a snack with them in the morning and saying, "Hey, I know you're not hungry, but again, our stomach's a muscle and it takes time to build it up." So, Even though we might not all of a sudden feel hungry for breakfast, if someone introduces themselves to a granola bar, then their stomach's going to get used to that and they'll be able to eat in the morning. But as parents, definitely not forcing it, but explaining, hey, I want you to be able to have energy in the morning. I want like this granola bar is going to give you energy to focus
1: on your school. So it goes back to why the food is important, not just because I said so. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And right. still respecting their space, but also saying, hey,
1: I want you to have energy. I want you to be able to succeed and focus at school. So I'm going to end with the forbidden topic of treats and candy. You mentioned it with Oreos and M&Ms. Like, what do we do with that? It's everywhere. And as parents, how do we navigate that without saying absolutely not? But we know it's going to be everywhere they go.
2: Yeah. And we see that all, we see both sides of things where we see everything is all about the sugars and sweets. We go to the grocery store, there's the aisles by the cashier register where it's M&Ms and all of these snacks. But then on the flip side of things, as parents, there's a lot of social media out there where it's using a lot of fear mongering around this candy, around these treats. And so parents find themselves oftentimes in a hard spot of, OK, what is actually good for my child, right? What is actually going to be beneficial? And it kind of goes along with the, I talked a little bit about it with the exposure and really exposing children. It is OK to have things in moderation, like birthday cake, to have ice cream at dinner. These kind of things are normal and it is OK to allow them. But more than anything, as a parent, we're able to show our children the What it looks like to have a healthy relationship with sweets, where I said earlier, but I'll reiterate, if we are restricting and over restricting, it's just going to grow into an obsession. And we want to raise intuitive eaters where they're not being obsessed over food, where they're not restricting food, but they're able to eat to a place that they can enjoy and fuel their bodies. And so really just giving the minimum amount that is OK with the child and depending on a child that can vary. But for a two year old, I said earlier, two M&Ms at a meal saying, OK, like here's some sugar and serving it with the meal is really important just because it's that strategic exposure where they're not seeing dessert as a treat that has to be earned, where they have to have a few bites. And that goes with adults too. If we're going out and doing a workout, don't reward yourself with a cookie, reward yourself with a meal. We don't, we're not pets. We don't earn our treats. And so really just showing that as an example to the children as well of saying, okay, I can have a cookie with my dinner because I want the cookie, not because I... A few bites and earned it, or because I did a workout and earned it, I can have that with my meal, and it's totally fine to have in moderation, right? I know sometimes moderation people will say, Well, is every day okay? What about all of that? We see that a lot. What about just a few times a week? And honestly, every day having a little bit of sugar isn't a bad thing. And it's actually that sugar is going to be what they get their quick energy from. That's what's going to help them. Um, have energy throughout the day. I've seen children who get Pop-Tarts in the morning, and sometimes people are very offended that children are getting Pop-Tarts. But when you break it down to the fact that, okay, that Pop-Tart's going to be quick energy for the student to wake up in the morning and have energy for school. Now, maybe pair it with some yogurt or some protein where it'll help that energy be sustainable, but it's not bad that they're having that quick energy and it can be beneficial in different areas of their life. And not that they're going to have a Pop-Tart for every meal every day, but including those things so that they don't become obsessed with having to have it, showing
1: them that it is okay to have a healthy relationship with sweets. I love this. Like you're giving me suggestions for myself too. And I really appreciate it. And I know that all of the parents that are listening will really appreciate it too. So is there anything else that you would want to share with our community that's listening about healthy nutrition and just that intuitive eater line? I would just encourage... Parents, children, just give yourself grace.
2: I know a lot of the times parents have this pressure of having to raise their child to be perfect, that they have to do all the right things. But again, you only can do what you've been taught. And so as you learn, learn with your child. It's okay to admit sometimes that things aren't what you thought they were, and it's okay to learn and grow with your child. So just know that you can give yourself grace and be vulnerable with your child, even when it feels like everything's coming down, that
1: you have to be a certain way or have to do a certain thing in order for your child to succeed. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. We really appreciate your time and your knowledge. And I hope that parents take this. I know I will take it to heart for myself and allow myself that cookie as opposed to having it be a treat for something that I did. So uh, we want to thank our community for joining us um, for Utica Community Schools. I am Kim Toursky for the UCS Wellness Podcast.
0: The UCS Wellness Podcast is a resource created by Utica Community Schools, the second largest K-12 school district in Michigan, located in Macomb County. Thank you for listening. As always, you can head over to our UCS Wellness Podcast page at uticak12.org slash wellnesspodcast. From there, you can subscribe to the show and find all the links and resources discussed in this episode in the show notes. If you enjoyed this resource, please consider leaving a rating and review and be sure to recommend the UCS Wellness Podcast to friends and family. For more about UCS Wellness, you can visit uticak12.org slash UCS underscore wellness. Thank you again for joining us. From all of us here at Utica Community Schools, be well.